0: Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Before we get into today's guest, I wanted to share about an article that I read recently that I think might be of interest to many of you. It's called Capitalism Can't Heal Us by Tim Fry, and it's an opinion piece that was featured in Newsweek. So if you just Google Capitalism Can't Heal Us Newsweek, or Tim Fry newsweek I'm sure it will come up we will also obviously put it into the show notes I specifically wanted to talk about it on this podcast because what Tim talks about in this article is exactly what we've been talking about on this podcast and why politics and examining capitalism and white supremacy and all that sorts of stuff why it is actually an important component of healing so Basically, he is talking about a lot of the, what do do we call them? I can't even remember what they're called, but essentially a lot of these like capitalist based platforms that are purporting offering more access to mental health help. So you cannot listen to a podcast these days without hearing an ad for one of these companies, probably only one you keep hearing over and over. And I'm not going to name it because I don't want to get sued, (laughs) But every time I hear an ad for this company, I'm like, but you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And I did a little TikTok thing about it. But basically, you know, these companies are saying that they're providing access to mental health. Well, they're saying that they're providing access to therapy. But truthfully, it's like it's like support. I don't know. You can't have text therapy. I'm sorry. Like, I am all for Changing with the times, but you cannot do therapy over text. You just can't. You cannot do it. I will never, I will never believe anything differently. Or if I do, I guess maybe I'll be struck by lightning. We'll see. But at any rate, so Tim talks about the root cause of a lot of our ailments, our anxiety and and our depression and alcoholism and addiction and all these things that our society is suffering with. A lot of the root of that comes from the way our society has been structured around capitalism, productivity, right? Making money, being successful. And so I'm just going to read a couple quotes from this article that I thought were so great. The reason we don't have any actual root cause solutions for the mass distribution of inequity, injustice, and trauma is because perpetuating all of it is actually quite profitable. That's scary as fuck, y'all. And it's true. I've been obviously talking a lot about this um, uh, embodied social justice course that I took. And there was a a unit there where we talked about the medical industrial complex. And the person (laughs) who was leading that said the exact same thing that it's profitable for people to stay sick. Like, I don't know if anyone else remembered this, but when there started to be more medications come out that were treating, um, oh goodness, what were they? Now I'm blanking. They were treating constipation that was due to taking pain meds, right? So the thing about taking pain meds is that it gives you constipation. That is one of the side effects. And I thought at the time if you're taking pain meds and you're becoming constipated, then you have to add another medication on top of it. That's quite a profit for the company rather than trying to address the pain in the first place in a different way than pain meds, right? So this is that's one example of the way that the system profits from people's illness. And let me read another quote. We need to start asking ourselves why we need so much therapy, self-help, medication, and healthcare to begin with. It's because we're all vulnerable to the consequences of relying on systems, institutions, and industries, all of which were initially designed with the so-called purpose of supporting us, that are mismanaged and have become an over-politicized, widely dysfunctional, deeply corrupt, and incestuous quagmire of conflicting and profit-driven interests. We need wide-sweeping policy, legislative, and social change that eliminates the barriers and directly addresses the historical and cultural underpinnings of America that cause us to need so much mental health care in the first place. Just as the antidote to a poison can't be more of the poison, we can't silence the reverberations of capitalism with more capitalism. (sighs) I know this is a lot, you guys, but like... This is kind of the whole purpose of this show is to raise awareness, and I know that it can feel really overwhelming when we talk about these sorts of things and we read this sort of information like, well, how am I going to make one change? And the way we make change is by not supporting some of these highly capitalistically driven institutions, Right. My husband and I are trying to figure out as many things as we can to like shift where our money goes, right? I try not to buy on Amazon. I try to buy more from bookshop.org, which gives money directly to small um small bookstores, right? Um I'm trying to like buy sustainable toilet paper, you know, that doesn't use plastic and that uses bamboo um, so that it's more reusable. Right. Like where our money goes is part of how we make this change. And those are some of the individual things that we can do, in addition to obviously voting and getting more informed and yada, yada, all that stuff that I'm sure that you are all doing and you're tired of doing. But here we are. (laughs) This is where we are in the world right now. and. So at any rate, I wanted to share that article with you, look it up, read it. I am hopeful, I I reached out to Tim Fry and I'm hoping that he will come on the podcast and we can have a deeper discussion about this because this is really where a lot of his work lies and we can't heal if we're not able to get access to the resources to support our healing. And so that's what this is all about, y'all. Okay. Now on to today's amazing, wonderful guest, who is now my new friend. We went out and got sushi together and saw a play, and it was lovely. I so much enjoyed spending time with her, and you are going to enjoy me spending time with her as well over the next hour. So Mia Park is a multidimensional artist based in Chicago. Boundless enthusiasm fuels her community engagement through acting, producing events, teaching yoga, and more. So please enjoy my engaging, wonderful discussion with the lovely Mia Park. Mia, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Do you want to share our mutual connection and the reason that you're here today? Cool. Yes, I would. So Annika Seitz is a
1: fantastic therapist that works with you. She does. Yeah. Her and I... Annie and I have known each other for over 20 years. Um, We are children of the 90s. We know each other from the music scene. Uh, Her and I respectively played in bands. Yeah, yeah. She's a great bass player, great singer. And I'm a drummer. She's a
0: bass player? Yeah, she actually plays guitar as well, too. Annie, I am offended that you've never told me this.
1: Yeah, the big thing is for me, for Annie, is the singing. Like her and I actually sang in a kirtan group together. So kirtan is kind of this like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know if we're familiar with kirtan.
0: Actually, share for people who might not know, because I do. Sure. So the kirtan is,
1: um, my understanding of the kirtan is the repetition and the singing of certain mantra. And mantra is not just a phrase that you like to repeat over and over again. Mantra is actually a phrase that's kind of given to you. Yeah. So it's kind of become something different in these days. Mantra and also certain scriptures, poems, just basically words or phrases that have a spiritual linking, and you repeat them over and over again. And the words don't vary. The melody can change kind of but it's the repetition of it that makes it a little bit more powerful a little I have a little more energy so anyway she's just we've been in a couple bands together she is great so that's how we know each other she introduced me to Sarah via email I was producing an Asian American Pacific Islander storytelling event sponsored by DK's in the city and the Chicago libraries and Sarah and your social media people were so kind enough to boost that signal and that's how you and I met so thank you
0: Yeah. And I can't wait to dig into like, I mean, it sounds like you've lived, uh, you've lived a life and you've got so many different facets that connect with healing. So I just cannot wait to hear your story. So like, how do you encapsulate who you are and what you do right now in the world?
1: Yeah, that is such a great question. So I'm always looking for the common thread for all the things I do because Mia Park does so much. Mm -hmm. And I think the common thread is connecting to something bigger than me hmm. And even if that is an isolated event, even if that is just me trying desperately to get off my dumb phone before I go to bed, because I got to check Instagram one more
0: goddamn time. One more time. I got best fiends that just keeps me coming back. It's horrible. <laughs> right. So
1: that is still an attempt to even though that's not a positive behavior that I have to me, that's still an attempt to like uh, connect to something that's bigger than me. Yeah. So that's kind of my that's my my thorough my through thread. Yeah how that expresses itself has always been decided intuitively. Like, Mm. I ain't no five-year planner. I don't do finances well. I don't do life planning well. I just kind of get an idea and an instinct, and then I jump in with every cell in my body, Mm. kind of with everything that I do. It's an intense way to live. It's an exhausting way to live, (laughs) but I don't know if I have a choice.
0: Right? Like, it's funny because sometimes I say that too. Like, I don't have a choice about this. We do have choices, but... I'm guessing that you have a very high tolerance for fear and risk.
1: You know it it depends. Like when it comes to relationships and that's just in every sense of the word of one conscious being connecting with another conscious being mm-hmm. in a sustainable way, not even sustainable, even like, you know, the bus driver. I work hard on relationships because they're fearful for me in many ways. Mm. But as far as taking risks that personally put myself into what may, may be considered like failing positions of failure or yeah. danger. Yeah, man, I, I just do things. I don't have that high of a risk that way. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I, I think especially I, maybe theater teaches us that, right? Because you did theater as well.
1: I still do. I just did a reading at the Goodman on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And I'm doing a workshop at Looking Glass next next week, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. so it, do you do you think for you that comes from performing that? I don't like the term fearlessness because I think that's a misnomer. I think we all have fear, but those of us who do quote unquote, scary things choose to move with it or past it, right? So what do you think has contributed to your ability to have that high tolerance for mm. quote unquote, sc- things that would scare the shit out of other people?
1: right the performing it's actually the other way around the performing came because i can jump in and just do something mm. so performing i mean i still get scared i still get terrified performing was really terrifying for me at first i didn't become started acting until i was 30 really you know it took me one yeah i started hosting this kids tv show called chicago it's still kind of somehow it's this thing even though we don't film anymore it's on cable access and it's like this huge cult following and it's just oh and wacky God. and weird yeah there's a puppet bands lip sync. We've done over a thousand episodes. Stop I started hosting it. that when I was 28. Where do we find this? Well, the only way to find it now is on YouTube. So it's the word Chicago with an extra go, and it's pronounced Chicagogo, or on Facebook. But YouTube's really the page. We had a website, but the, you know the guy who runs it, Jake Austin, he also does the Puppet Ratso. He's always been in his own... Beautifully neurodivergent, <laughs> expressive way. I love and it. And I am too, but I mean, it's funny because you have these character people. If I can tangent for a minute. Please. Sometimes we have these character people like Sonny and Cher, or you know, these, these performers that are like these characters. Mm-hmm. So when Jake Austin the human is Ratso the Puppet, and when Mia Park the human is Miss Mia the host, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Ooh. It is like Eggs and cheese. It is just hand in hand. We get together and we gel and we melt. We don't need a script. Yeah. It's just instant. And actually, Mia Park and Jake Austin, the humans, don't communicate the same way. We're just busy. But when it's the puppet and me as the host, it's pretty unstoppable. And that's a beautiful relationship that I cherish. And it's with a puppet, which is kind of great. So cool. Yeah. So back to why I jump in, because I had a highly traumatic and trigger warning you know i had a very traumatic upbringing Mm. it was very violent um it involved a lot of things that were very intense Mm. on all kinds of levels and so because of that i think that i believe that obviously maybe it's not so obvious that might be condescending sorry if that was but i believe that we develop our patterning at our fundamental ages and then a lot of our adult life is Like physical therapy, shifting a pattern. Physical therapy is repetition to shift a dysfunctional physical pattern, right? Yep. Yep. We've got cognitive behavior therapy. We've got breathing techniques. We've got all these other tools as adults to shift our mental and emotional patterns. And so, do we have a choice? Yes. When I said earlier, I don't have a choice. I absolutely do have a choice. I agree. Yeah. However, I feel in some ways, I feel very alive in air quotes when I'm leaning into the survival skills from having such a highly intense (laughs) and traumatic childhood. I think a lot of us do that. It's just, you know, and it has to do with my personality, with who I am. It has to do with like what I survived growing up. Yes. And, you know, just a combination of those things that propel me towards what I do. Yeah. So, and if it wasn't for more introspective, Techniques like yoga, my jam that has actually been Tai Chi for a long time mm. with breathing exercises, with meditation. If yeah. it wasn't for those type of techniques that I practiced or was introduced to, you know, I would be a human being that makes more choices that put myself in
0: in the way of being whole. you know I relate to every single thing you're saying. It's funny, I was literally right before this just writing about this because I'm working on a book about my own trauma, and I had done an interview with this woman and we were talking about how the nervous systems react to our early environment and you know the propensity towards sympathetic arousal which for folks who don't know what that is basically that's the fight or flight response that's mobilizing right it has you moving and doing something and some of us get patterned towards that like that activation that moving and some of us are patterned towards collapsing and more like hopelessness and 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 non action right so everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, check, 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 check. And it's any survival strategy can help you be successful and it can get in your way, right? So I'm hearing you say like that part of you may have helped you be successful in your career, but it may be impacting your relationships in not such a great way.
1: Yeah. Word. What you said. I'm so glad that you're in the profession that you're in. You know, we're kind of called <laughs> <Word>. <laughs> to if we keep making these shifts towards wholeness. The kind of careers where we can serve ourselves and the larger universe better just kind of happen, right? So I'm glad that you're doing this podcast and you do what you do. Can I can I just jump in real quick and yes. mention something? So I noticed that on the list of questions that I may be asked yeah. during this um, very lovely freeform interview was one of like yeah. you know how do you feel being a wounded healer or what, <laughs> how do you identify with that? And I just wanted to say that I have a lot of respect for the word healing and people who consider themselves healers. I do not consider myself a healer.
0: I love that I don't even have to ask you. You can just do the interview yourself. I know, right, right. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) I think that the way that I approach that world is that I think that wholeness needs to come before the ability to forgive someone, for the ability to self-heal, for the ability to sustainably help other people heal. Now, I also believe that people heal themselves. I think that there are facilitators, those of us that are interested in helping people become whole by teaching techniques, by being enlightened witness. Thank you, Alice Miller. You know, by developing our own selves in order to hold space or reflect back or provide whatever that other person needs so that they can become whole. So I think that the process, if I were to identify a linear chronological order to becoming like, how do I become the best person? Or how do I feel more fulfilled? Or how do I heal trauma? Whatever. My response to that would be first work on becoming whole. How do you become whole? Those techniques that lead you to understand yourself deeper so that you can listen to that deeper part of yourself. You know, the Sufis approach it as remembering yourself. And in yoga, that term is called smarana. Yeah. So in the yoga paradigm, smarana means to remember, Mm -hmm. right? So we talk about how do we remember? It's remembering Mm -hmm. that you are already connected to something bigger than yourself that is already whole. So I think that wholeness comes first. And from there comes this idea of forgiveness
0: and most importantly, healing. Can I ask a question there real quick? Sure. Yeah. I want to unpack forgiveness a little bit because I hear you putting healing and forgiveness together. And- I'm always listening with the ear of a listener, too. And I'm the child of parents who many could say I have not forgiven. There's this very fine line with forgiveness, I think, where it can be used against people and have them go down a route that's more traumatizing rather than healing. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But keep yourself unmuted. Just throw in whenever you want. I feel like if we're going to kind of talk about
1: forgiveness... I feel like in this Western Christian dominated world, whether we believe in that paradigm or not, boom, forgiveness is like, and I'm basing this off of Alice Miller, right? Who was like this phenomenal European psychotherapist that got kicked out of every single professional group she was in because why she was very anti fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is forgive thy father and mother. And this is to give your listeners background who may not be familiar with her. Yeah. So she thought if you had abusive parents, the last thing you should do is be forced to have a relationship with them or forgive Mm -hmm. them. So she believed that you don't need a psychotherapist. You basically need an enlightened witness. Mm -hmm. And an enlightened witness doesn't have to be somebody trained. It doesn't have to be somebody that you even already know. An enlightened witness is somebody who can holistically listen to you. Without judging. And that without an enlightened witness, it is very difficult for us to become whole or healed or forgive other people. Mm -hmm. So having somebody else help you along this path of becoming whole or healed or whatever you want to say definitely involves other people. Yeah. So anyway, back to forgiveness. Based on that idea that we should never be forced to forgive someone because that's just going to hurt ourselves mm-hmm. and if we're trying to forgive somebody because we have this moralistic imposition that's been imposed upon us like fuck that bullshit mm-hmm. you know what i mean i have mm-hmm. um family members who i i can't even exp- i think i've gone from hatred to paralyzed fear to segueing into somewhere into being numb thinking about my yeah. family members yep. So I'm not even in that place of forgiveness. And I, I stopped putting pressure on myself to forgive a long time ago. Yes. Once I finally cellularly understood the fact that there ain't no hell, we're in heaven, we're in hell, there's just getting to know myself better and then making choices from that place. God, now I've let myself off the hook so much about trying to forgive people. Yes. So I think we-
0: Were you raised Christian? Oh,
1: very- yeah, my what 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 denomination? Korean
0: Presbyterian, which is super <laughs> conservative. <laughs> so conservative you have to I sing it. I must
1: sing it. Koreans <laughs> you're so damned. We can, that's a whole other oh podcast if you want to talk about the K people. Wow. But um clean the K yeah. people. Yeah. Oh my god. You know, us Korean Americans or us Koreans, it's just like very very yallshimi, which means mm. very with intensity. But back to the idea of like healers, wholeness, and forgiving, I think the same concept of healing to me is similar to forgiveness in the sense that if we can't be whole, then it's going to be really difficult to really heal somebody, right? Or heal ourselves, in other words. And in the same way, if we're not whole, it's hard to forgive somebody. And everything has to start with ourselves, I believe. So the Mm -hmm. ability to, you know, make peace with and accept yourself, forgive yourself, I think that's a byproduct of becoming whole. So honestly, in my personal development and how I try, when I teach my yoga therapy or teach Tai Chi or whoever I'm working with, Mm -hmm. I work on wholeness before healing or forgiveness. And I'm working on that with myself too. I think there's a lot of benefit that can come from thinking about, like, I believe, okay. Okay. I believe that becoming whole first has to come with acceptance. You know how there's the Holy Trinity and everything, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. awareness, understanding, acceptance, you know all these kind of different things that we have. So I feel like the struggle is one of those triads that help us become whole because we have to acknowledge that there is a struggle. There's pressure in life and the struggle's not bad. Like you said, the struggle helps us develop. That's being human. I also feel like there's an acceptance that needs to happen. And this is where I segue in forgiving. Like if you can accept the fact that you are angry at somebody or accept the fact that maybe you're not as whole as you want to be or who you think you want to be, the struggle is real. And it's already there. We're all already struggling. But I think accepting is a hard yeah. part of that struggling.
0: I mean, like really cellularly accepting yourself and accepting situations. Yeah. Right. Like there's the acknowledgement of the situation and then there's how you relate to the situation and how you relate to yourself relating to the situation, right? Because you can just have anxiety, but then you can also judge yourself about having anxiety, which makes (laughs) it compounds it.
1: (laughs) uh, Compounding is the thing, right? I love that you just said compounding. That's such a great word to express what we're talking about because we talked about these patterns that we're in. Mm -hmm wouldn't it be easy if it was just one pattern there's like a bajillion patterns overlapping making this giant like what did you call that thing with the pens that go round and round in circles stenograph spirograph spirograph so like existence are all these patterns spirographing on top of each other and most of them are dysfunctional yep right or dysfunctional to a level right so like the pen gives out or then the pen is stronger and then it becomes like a gobbledygook and it's not just two-dimensional. It's like 14-dimensional, mm-hmm. right? You just pick something up and you look at it. So I think with that graphic or this is some symbolism, I think one of the beauties of understanding being human too is that, you know, I'm talking about wholeness and that I don't think that healness can happen unless you're whole. And I think that healness and forgiveness are byproducts of becoming whole. I think that part of the beauty and struggle of being as live is that we never actually become whole. Hmm. Um, we work towards it, and we should because that's a deep spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like in the body homeostasis. The body is physical body is constantly struggling to get to homeostasis, a state of balance. Yep. And the moment we are born, it never ever gets there. Mm-hmm. The body is never balanced. We are never going to be whole, and that's kind of part of the struggle and the acceptance of the struggle. And I think that's okay. Mm. You know what I mean? That's part of the Mm -hmm. deal. We're never going to be perfect and we're never going to be whole. So we just have to keep trying. And that's the struggle, I think.
0: Hmm. And it's so interesting. I'm thinking about the way that I frame it and I frame Mm. it from more of a Buddhist perspective of we are whole. It's Mm. like uncovering the diamond Mm -hmm. that we're doing. And something that really, really supported my, the way that I could, I I guess supported the way I could get to acceptance. Because for me, it's been a struggle to find compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's about relationship to the struggles or whatever. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when I hear you talk about dysfunctional patterns, the thing that I learned fairly recently in this therapy modality called NARM is if we can hold those as survival strategies that literally kept us alive as children, rather than calling them dysfunctional, mm-hmm. there is space for compassion to naturally arise, right? So, mm-hmm. like, if I can share an example that I fucking came to in therapy yesterday and it blew my fucking mind. So oh, my God. My husband and I are buying. Sorry, I don't want to make it about me, but we're no, do it, do we're, it. we're having a good talk. Yeah. So my husband and I are buying a house. I am a person who needs stuff. I've always been that way. I need my stuff to feel comfortable. And so I'm panicking because this is going to be a smaller place. Mm. I have to get rid of stuff, right? So I'm talking to my therapist about this, and I'm like, there's something about comfort. There's something visceral. There's something pre-verbal. I don't know what it is. And as I'm just saying, I don't know what it is. And she's you know, kind of guiding me to be with my body. I had this, not really a memory, but more of a body memory. And having seen a picture of when I was a child, and a child enough to be in a crib, so definitely pre-verbal. I was going to be bow legged. And so my mom put me in these shoes that had a bar in between the shoes that would keep my feet straight. And I had to wear them even sleeping so that my body would grow, quote unquote, correctly. And instantly I was like, holy fuck. So this whole like rigidity that I have about comfort and having my stuff and all of that, it comes from that. No wonder that survival strategy developed. And no wonder I struggle with that now. And so now, like, having that awareness, I can have a different relationship with that, what I have always called rigidity and that need for comfort. Isn't that just, like, fascinating?
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I'm super down, 100%, on what you're saying about it's about relationships and the first ones with ourselves and our relationship to the anxiety. I love hearing that you have such a healthy, welcoming relationship to this memory. That's so fascinating about like you were literally bound. You know what I mean? Like from a very fundamental patterning age. Like you were literally bound. Yeah. Because it was good for you. And who knows? Probably who knows what your physical body would have been like if you weren't bound, right? Exactly, right? You're just you're just putting oh wonderful.
0: Isn't that fascinating? So fascinating. Hello everyone. I'm interrupting this amazing conversation with an invitation and request. I can't believe it, but Conversations with a Wounded Healer is nearing our 200th episode. And if you've been with me for a while, you know this podcast has been an instrumental part of my own healing journey, and I'd really love to hear more about how it's been a part of yours. So for our 200th episode, I'd love to include your voice. Just go to speak 2us slash convos with a wounded healer, and you can leave me up to a 60 second voicemail about how this podcast has impacted you. And for our 200th episode coming up in November, I'll include your message. If you don't want to share your voice in particular, but want to drop us a message anyway, you can email assistant at headhearttherapy.com, and I'll read your message as part of this special celebration. I can't wait to hear from you. One thing I wanted to jump back to and what you said about we're already
1: whole, word. So, like, if I had to believe in a spiritual paradigm, it's heavily influenced by Tantra and not, like, what Tantra thinks is, like, Sting or the Sexy Sexy thing. (laughs) It's a very, very, very small part of the philosophy Mm -hmm. of Tantra. But Tantra is a Vedic. um, Yes. And so is Buddhism. So, the roots are really the same, right, in the Vedas. So, I also believe that, like, we are already 100% whole. So, thank you for clarifying that and, like, reminding me that it's a nice way to approach that. Like we talked about the Sufis remembering or yoga, Smarna. We are 100% already whole. And I think that, I guess we have to qualify everything to understand it right. But yeah, I agree. We're already whole. It's uncovering the diamond. It is remembering who we really are already. Right. It's that. Yeah. And I love, I love what you said about maybe shifting the language of dysfunctional. Like I've been thinking a lot about language lately. And Hmm. the the etymological root of, so dysfunctional, like breakfast is like, you're breaking a fast.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like dysfunctional is something that is not functioning. Right. So you're right. The dysfunctional family is still functioning. They're just fucked up. It's an adaptation. It's an adaptation, right? They're just completely fucked up. So side note, one word I thought was so fascinating, Sarah, you might dig this. The word matter means to take up space. Mm. So when you ask somebody, what's the matter? You are literally asking, what is
0: taking up space? Wow. I know. That's the
1: science. for. That's literally
0: science. I was like, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Matter, matter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, What's the
1: matter? What is that which takes up your space? Wow. Isn't that so cool? So if I think about words that way, dysfunctional, As that word makes sense, but you're right. As an adaptation, I think there might be more like encouraging ways, maybe something that could be better. Yeah. How would you describe something as dysfunctional in this norm?
0: Yeah. In norm, we would call it a survival strategy. Okay. And then witnessing the wisdom of the survival strategy rather than pathologizing the way that it gets in our way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Oh, my gosh. So I... I'm having an experimental relationship with somebody right now. Mm-hmm. And the way that this, this is going- kinky. <laughs> I know, doesn't it? It's so much more simple than that. I have this romantic interest who is currently in a place where he does not want to be monogamous. Mm-hmm. And I am currently in a place where I am uncomfortable unless I am monogamous. Mm. So monogamy is very important to me. So I'm just trying to figure out Again, back to relationships and like wholeness and forgiveness and this whole thing. It's like, yeah, let me see if I can say this in one way. So the experiment here is if I can develop an authentic relationship with this person that I want to have a very specific relationship with. So if I want to be romantic partners with this person, Mm -hmm. then I will suffer because this person will not be monogamous. Mm. And that's not a judgment. That's just a reality that I will have to struggle to deal with that. Right, right, where you are. hmm yeah. So there's like three ways to look at this, I feel like. The other option is to just not be friends with this person anymore, not know this person anymore, and continue to go where I'm comfortable, which is like, all right, I'm just going to like find some other dude that I want to be monogamous with. Mm-hmm. You know? But, and this is where the experiment comes in. I'm curious to see who I am in the middle ground. Talk about your Buddhism, right? Yes. Middle path. Yep. Can I be in a relationship with this lovely human being who I think is very valuable and not resent them because they won't be monogamous, but not ignore them because we're not doing that. So I can't be friends with you. Right. Can I possibly develop an intimate relationship that isn't romantic, that isn't sexual? With a brand new person. Mm-hmm. I feel like these relationships, like I've got male platonic friends and we've always been platonic friends and I'm just tight homies with, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's developed over time and years. Yeah. So I'm kind of jumping in from the top down. Like I'm already romantically interested. Can I scale that down? Who can I be? Yeah. So I feel like a lot of that has to do with me letting myself off the hook of expectation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm do I want this person to consider me a sexually desired object or a sexually desired person in order to still like me? Cause that's how we started out. Right. What is my value as a person without that spectrum of relationship?
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: kind of an interesting, I hope that's informative to share, like talk about relationships and trying to feel like, yeah, whole in them, you know?
0: Well, it's about attachment. And I mean, I'm also thinking of, cause I'm polyamorous and since COVID, have not been participating in life that way, and something that I've learned and heard from other professionals o- over time is that some of us, it's, it's a sexual orientation. Some of us are really truly wired for that, and it's funny mm. because in in my relationship, I am definitely wired to be polyamorous. My husband is not, mm-hmm. and so it was an experiment for us to participate in the world that way. And he finds enough benefit that he's fine. <laughs> he's fine, but it's so interesting how like marriage evolved out of the patriarchal need to keep tabs on like women. And it's so funny that marriage and monogamy go together because truly they have nothing to do with each other. They really don't. I mean, marriage is like a contract with the state and
1: fuck the government <laughs> being up my ass anymore <laughs> than it is already. You know, that being said, I would define myself as a socialist Democrat and I love mm, libraries. Yeah. And I feel like, as I think both of us are, like, we identify as she, mm-hmm. her, you know, and, um, you know, being born and raised in the feminine narrative in this country, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say maybe even Korea, because that's the only other country I've lived in. I was born in the mm-hmm. States, So I feel like we still have this, like, I'm a little princess, yeah. and I need to be saved by some bigger, stronger, more money-making figure than me. And until yeah. that happens, I'm not complete. Like, yep. Fuck. That narrative, yeah, but I have to admit, it's somewhere in the back of like it's old brainstem, absolutely. Right? Can I ask why your
0: husband decided to get married at all? I didn't know I was polyamorous before we got married. I didn't find out until I started cheating, and because I had told myself if I find the right person, I will not be a cheater anymore. Ah, interesting. And then, so of course, I cheated, and then I just thought, oh, he's the wrong person. But after, like, because I wanted to stay committed, so I kept working on it and realized, like, oh, shit, I'm not cheating because I'm an asshole. I'm cheating because I am wired differently. And Mm -hmm. he was willing to go along with that journey. And like I said, he finds, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, I have not convinced him, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between and outside of that um i've not convinced him he's not doing anything against his will he is (laughs) he is fine because i did worry about that for a long time sure i'm sure he has agency he's in or he's not he's got choice right yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly exactly yeah so i I mean he knew i was bisexual before we got married so relationships with women was always fine but it was once i realized i still wanted to be with other folks too Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I think that there
1: is a wiring thing. Like, I was just really, really learning about asexuality
0: and that, you know, it's not. I need to learn more about this because I was thinking about that the other day, too, because at first part of me was like, oh, asexuality must be a trauma response. And then I was like, but being gay is not a trauma response. So it has to be its own sexual orientation. So tell me what you know, because I want to know more. Exactly that that exactly
1: what you just said it's it's anecdotal it's just kind of like talking to people i haven't done any kind of like clinical research but just thinking about like again relationships like Mm -hmm. married people can be in an asexual relationship it's about communication too right Mm -hmm. but is asexuality a result of sexual abuse or trauma right 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 i always assumed it was too yeah is it a true orientation like you're talking about being wired as a polyamorous person yeah i feel like and i get that like i said how i said earlier like i don't have a choice I also feel like we change. Yeah. Like maybe right now, polyamorous and works for you and me and it doesn't for me. And maybe in five years I'll be all about it. Right. Like I don't, you know, when we talk about becoming, remembering our wholeness and shifting these patterns, like what kind of behavioral choices feel more life giving to us?
0: Yeah. 100%. And it's funny because I, as I've been healing from my own sexual trauma, the spiritual coach, for lack of a better term, has said you might choose not to be polyamorous later because it could be for me, polyamory could be a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's truly my orientation the way that I am or if it's a survival strategy that I developed in defense of the abuse that I suffered. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we hang to that idea of what
1: is an old brain childhood developed Response, mm-hmm. like say, being polyamorous, mm-hmm. because you needed that survival. Mm-hmm. Versus, my brain functions this way as much as I'm right or left handed. Right, right, right. What's right. the difference? Mm-hmm. And like, what is the difference? I mean, look at your legs that were supposed to supposed to be right, bold legged right. in quotes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, my cousin was born left handed, and in Korean culture, it is very unlucky to be left handed. Oh, right, sinister. So he's young enough that my aunt would like hit him and make him right-handed. Wow. I was like, um, glad I was born right-handed and glad you're not my mom because that's kind of messed up. She would like yeah. snack, yeah. you know, in Korean. And of
0: course, now he's right-handed. That right? da- happened to my dad in Catholic school.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I remember watching that happen and I thought, "Yeah, you're really going to make this baby different. Right. So in other words, we can be trained we can be born a certain way and we Mm -hmm. can train ourselves to have these responses. Like, I guess there's no right or wrong. I guess it's, again, just understanding where we are and being in relationship with it. That's
0: exactly what I was going to say is, right, it doesn't really matter. But what's so important is the curiosity around it. And I think sometimes, and I'm sure you've witnessed this over and over, people will be like, well, I'm just polyamorous. That's the way I am. Or I'm just left-handed. That's the way I am. But if we're curious about, Why and how and how does it serve us and how does it not, right? Like, I sometimes think of being left handed as a disability because I have to learn how to do things differently than everybody else, right? I mean, it's not really, I don't want to diminish real disabilities, but it's different, right? And yeah, I am right handed at some things and I'm always curious, like, I'm right legged, which was really challenging in gymnastics. So I do some things the left handed way and some things the right handed way. It was very frustrating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was a gymnast too, so I get that. You
0: were? Oh yeah. Oh, we could talk about that forever too.
1: Yeah, it was great. Was it abusive? What, I don't know. Did you do that here in the States or in Korea? I'm from Philadelphia. So I did it Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. And I made it to State Regionals. And I fucking hated it. Me too. I'm so glad I was a gymnast. Yes. But uh, I really hated it. And so I blew off the biggest meat of my life and the team mm. suffered because I wasn't there and that's when my coach yes. finally realized, like, maybe I should let me quit. But anyway. Yes.
0: I was like 11 or 12 or something like that. What about you? I quit when I was 11. Yeah. 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 Because, I, yeah, I wanted to sing instead. How funny. But, yeah, I feel the same way. Like, the foundation of body awareness and, I guess, what is it, proprioception? Like, how you move through space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's nothing better, I think, than like setting someone up to be able to like move through space and feel like they are in command of their body. And it's an abusive system. (laughs) It's an abusive system. And the irony is that, like, maybe
1: like you, I was being sexually abused while I was training in gymnastics, not in the gymnastics context, though, in a different Mm. format. So I do agree with you. Having that agency to be in your body. Especially being young and strong, right? Children's bodies are just like awesome and Mm -hmm. strong just open. Having that dual thing going on of like, this is happening to me in my body, but I'm also developing strength and agency in my body. I think that
0: those two are really powerful tools. Well, what happened? Tell us what happened next. I'm not ready to talk about. Totally fair. Totally fair. But I've spent a, a
1: large part of my adult life being in my body. And I think a lot of that was because, you know, of the abuse. Yeah. So I, from gymnastics, I did also, my father was a martial arts guy when Mm. he came to this country. Mm. So I did a lot of martial arts. I had to grow up above the studio, blah, 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 the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved around a lot, but for a while we lived on top of the martial arts studio. (laughs) So it was like that. And then it was also like running track and... Then it was on my own. It was doing Kung Fu starting from my early 20s. And then I've been doing yoga since 2006. Mm -hmm. You know, now Tai Chi is my practice. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a gift to still feel strong and be in a body. I always try to look at everything from different angles. The other side of that is like the exercise addiction And the Mm -hmm. no matter what I do, it's not good enough thing. And one of the issues about being in the body, especially as a gymnast, is that you are fucking ranked. And that tenth of a point means you win or lose. And when you're in a team, that tenth of a point means the team can win or lose. So if you're not good enough, it is like quantitatively shown. Right. That can fuck a kid up.
0: Yeah. And it's funny how in all of the body image stuff, that I've been trying to tap into lately, I've not really thought about how detrimental gymnastics was to the way that I saw my body. Mm. Right? I mean, Lord. So talk about body stuff. So I have like a weird, do you see my weird pinky? Oh, you do so, a weird pinky. Love it. I broke that
1: doing a back handspring and I was mm. so afraid of getting in trouble or disappointing the team or all that, that I never told anybody I just didn't it, tell them it never wow. got set or splint. So now I have a weird wow.
0: pinky. Yeah. And that's when I was like in. I kind of pinky too. Do you? Let me see. Is your, oh. It's not is quite it, as weird, but both of them, both of them are kind of like. Oh, you do. Can we, can we. I crack them sideways. Can we do like an air pinky promise? Pinky. What are we promising, Sarah? We are promising to love ourselves. <gasps>
1: Air pinky promise with yeah. Sarah. Air
0: pinky promise with our weird pinkies. <sighs> <laughs> I just had this sense that I was going to absolutely love you. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. I, that's how I pick guests. It really is not very scientific. I'd see someone and I'm like, I don't know. The energy is just great. And I, as soon as I saw Annie sent your your storytelling gig, And I was like, I don't know who this person is, but we're going to be friends.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thanks. I thought that, too. I listened to some of the pot. I kind of popped around and I was like, great, great interviewer because interviewing is a skill. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I love that you're doing this. And I love that people are responding to you. You have a lot of social
0: media interaction and blah, 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 blah with the center. That's pretty bad. Yeah, man. Do it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's I mean, it's such a weird world to be in, right? Because, you know, as a theater person, right, you, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to advertise your stuff in this two-dimensional way and continue to try to interact with people. I mean, the way that I do everything is through relationships mm. and even Instagram, right? Like, I have a lot of interaction on there because I actually talk to these people. Like, I mm-hmm. actually have friends that I've developed from Instagram, you know? and. I don't think that's the way most people do it, but I don't know. It's and it's it's hard too cuz sustaining actual relationships as we have talked about takes a lot of work. Oh my gosh, it takes
1: so much work mm-hmm. and you know, I really do everything starts with ourselves, right? Like we can't yep. have a healthy sustainable relationship with anyone unless we have one with ourselves. And when you grow up being abused,
0: it's very mm-hmm. difficult
1: to have a healthy relationship with your, especially as a child, you know, right. when you, you develop this like relationship with yourself, that is like in survival mode, I took out dysfunctional. So, you know, <laughs> so thank you for that. You're welcome. And I feel like I look at people who I knew grew up abusively and I mm-hmm. see them in long time marriages and I see them mm. as like parents. And I think at one point I may have been jealous of that, but now I just kind of am more investigative. Like I never had kids and I'm so fine not having kids. Oh my God. Too busy reparenting myself. Thank you. Don't, don't need to respond. I don't even have a pet. Like I've got plants. I'm good with plants. (laughs) Like I don't want, how much are joy? Cause then, then I would start taking care of like a pet or the plants more than me. Like having Mm. more to take on my plate is a deflection from taking care of myself. Right. Anyway. Absolutely. And that's what Mm -hmm. I began to see with people in relationships. Like, People Mm -hmm. with kids, people with partners, people with one long-term partner. And I'm like, you beat yourself up all the time. I don't know how in the world you've been in this like 15-year relationship with this other human being, but I don't know the intimate works of your relationship. Exactly. And for some reason, that partner that you have been living with for 15 years that you see every day, all the time, especially during COVID times, somehow you work And I used to judge the level of those relationships I saw. Like, you and my relationship must be so fucked up because you are so hard on yourself. Then I realized, like, Mia, back off. It's none of my business. And so what if their relationship is, like, contentious or just leaning into skills that they already
0: have that are not as healthy?
1: Mm -hmm. It's none of my beeswax, man.
0: Well, and that goes back to this idea of how feminine and female people are socialized, that marriage is what you have to have, right? That's what equals success, right? I have been guilty of that too, thinking about like, oh, obviously I've been married for 16 years, so that means I'm healthy enough on some level. But you're right. Like, it could be you're just, you're fucked up and this goes together really well and you just be fucked up together. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So case in point, I went to a relative's house and they have two cats and the litter boxes
1: are in the basement. So there's a basement and there's like the first floor. The first floor of their house is where the husband dad has his like at home office Mm -hmm. and there's a little like reeds there, whatever. And that's where the guest room is. So it is the teenage son's responsibility to clean the litter box. (laughs) And I was just like, hey, family person, I think that your son is not cleaning the litter box because it's starting to really smell like urine. And this is a guest room I'm supposed to stay in. So Mm -hmm. the bathroom down there, Yeah, And so family member's son was like, I am cleaning it. That's part of my job. I clean the litter box. And I was like, "Mm, okay. So I went down there to check. And sure enough, he was cleaning the litter box. And his father went down and just threw the litter boxes in the trash bag Mm -hmm. and was like, it's fine. The stench of urine that had come everywhere, it was like happening the week I was there. So I'm not in this space that often. So I was just like, maybe it's just their house, but it was like bathroom carpet. Thank God not in the room I was in because they keep that door closed so animals don't go in there. So I was closing the door in the office that the father was in and it was gagging me. And at a certain point, I said to the father like, hey, have you noticed this intense smell of cat urine? And boy, did I get, my throat got jumped down. It's not that bad. You're probably just not used to it because you don't live here, but it's not that bad. It's fine.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: the father ended up sitting in his little reading room reading, and I was like, I'm gagging here. I'm literally gagging. Oh, my God. So I felt sequestered to my room that I was <laughs> in, and I was in there during cold weather, so like we couldn't open the windows. Oh, no. And like I'd have to run to the bathroom and breathe through my mouth because uh, it smelled so bad. And that's the way it was for that week. I was in this family member's house. Yeah. And I thought this is a metaphor for their relationship to life and with each other. It doesn't smell that bad. Denial. (laughs) You're just not used to it because you don't live here. I was like, fuck Mm -hmm. this bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. It smells like fucking cat pee. Right. Two cats peeing. And it ends up, of course, that one of them had a bladder infection, one of the cats, and was pissing everywhere because that's what they do. That's and it took somebody do. from outside of the situation to come in saying, maybe your cat's not well. And
0: then when I left, they took the cat in and they were like, oh, she had a UTI. And I was like, meh. Right? This is a metaphor for therapy, right? Like, you have the crazy family system and you need somebody on the outside to come in and be like, hey, I wonder if something's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> And to the level of whatever defensiveness
1: those people need to be in. But, you know, whatever. Just thought that was an interesting thing to share, too,
0: because again, relationships, you can't judge. No idea
1: what's going on in them,
0: you know. But you can judge the strength of cat piss.
1: Very high. If we're talking decimal, like point, the decimal system, like we did with gymnastics,
0: 10.0 in the cat piss strength.
1: Gold (laughs) Olympic medal. (laughs) <laughs> quadruple Goal double twisting level. backflip off the balance beam level cat piss.
0: cat piss wow i don't think i've ever talked about cat piss on the podcast before Yay. it's high time it's
1: a first it's a first <laughs> we're talking cat pee
0: oh man yes you are delightful
1: oh my gosh thanks you too it's been so lovely talking to you thank you Maybe we should do something together. I love if I connect with somebody, there's always larger things. Maybe we can have like a health and wholeness fest or something like that. And I can teach some yoga or nidra or breathing or meditation. And you can do like a a talkie workshop or something or teach.
0: Yeah. Let's explore. That sounds lovely. And it's also, I'm all about the hybrid these days. I try to do everything hybrid. I know. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, what's coming up next for you? What do y'all got on the docket so people can follow you, find you, support you, all the things? Oh, thank you. Okay, it is somehow June 2nd already. What the fuck?
1: Right. So the year's
0: already half over. What?
1: So mm-hmm. let's see. I am in the yoga world. I am leading a donation-based Restorative Yoga Nidra workshop at a Ooh. phenomenal Ooh. place. You should learn about. You should definitely have this person on your podcast. I believe Please. their name is Minky Kim. They were born a Korean female and now they are trans Still mm-hmm. Korean, so Korean to the <laughs> fact that they named their biPOC LGBTQIA plus only gym. It is the only gym in Chicago that is this way. What? Wait. What? What gym is it? Han center h-a-n center huh. irving park and sheridan here in uptown where i live huh. so you I, I can connect you and minky Please? if you want so yeah. minky has transformed their body in a way that's phenomenal so they're very open about mm-hmm. the scars from the breast removal
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not only are they like a super strong weightlifter, but they're also mm. a pole dancer in four inch heels
0: Stop it. You
1: have to look at their Instagram. It freaks me out. Heavily tattooed, but in a beautiful way where they have traditional Korean motifs. The actual word Han, in which Han is a word that defines Korean only suffering on their face neck like mm. korean tigers and dragons neck hands the whole thing beautiful person wow. so i am teaching a restorative yoga nidra workshop hybrid zoom and in person at han center to benefit the center and Minky. that's coming this month i am continuing to teach at first descent uptown which is a rock climbing gym it is open oh, to the yeah. public i love teaching there it's actually a fair price. I believe a day pass is only $20 and you can take as much yoga, use the gym and spend all day
0: climbing. And you can Very also cool. like come and go that one day. I can only spend five minutes climbing because my wrists are like, climbing done. is
1: ridiculous. Plus I'm after eight minutes. I'm like, I need to sit down and pant. Like it's hard. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But oh, I yeah.
1: love teaching there. So First Ascent, and it's a great organization. So I teach there. Right now, that's my only public class yoga-wise. I teach a lot of private yoga, which is really important to me. Ooh, I have long-time yeah. clients, nine years, seven years. So that's kind of my, mm. my passion. In Tai Chi, I'm teaching Tai Chi on Saturdays in Millennium Park. Oh um, yay! yeah, I already started. So it's six more times this summer on the great lawn at the Pittsburgh Pavilion. Yeah. So I'm up there with the big thing. It's so
0: great. So if you oh. look at my Facebook website or Instagram, all the dates are on there. It's really fun. Oh shoot. We should do that. My husband used to do Tai Chi and because he was doing martial arts. He is terrible, like proprioception and like understanding his body in space. So Tai Chi oh, was like okay. so helpful. So helpful for him, right? And to be clear,
1: if I go back to talking about proprioception. So I teach Tai Chi and yoga from the inside out, meaning that my priority is internal development. But internal development, I believe, starts from gross to subtle. So we need to start with Mm -hmm. the body. Mm -hmm. So like the Sufis were worried about consciousness, but they denied their body and worked on their emotions. The Taoists are into consciousness, but they denied their emotions and worked on their body. Mm. And the yoga people, yoga is kind of so big Yoga kind of like, I think yoga took a bad turn in all places. It's doing a derivative job in all accounts. Yeah. Like, we're going to heal the body, but it's so fast and so hard sometimes that there's long-term physical suffering. Right, Right, And they're giving breathing and meditation very little play in most classes. Yep. Which means that if you don't have a good relationship with your body and you don't have a good gateway towards the breathing and meditative state you're not really working on your consciousness so yoga kind of right. fucked up in a lot of places right
0: and i mean nowadays well white people fucked it up let's be honest yeah
1: white people totally <laughs> fucked it up but see the <laughs> white people brought it. the koreans are super into the hard stuff oh my mm. god the most yoga you find i've been to hong kong you know the most yoga you find in asian countries is like beat my ass up yoga mm. i've taught i've taught there and it's wow. just like i'm trying to do this restorative yet yeah, no one's coming great you know what i mean wow. yeah it's pretty intense
0: Restorative is my fave. Oh
1: my God, so good. So yoga nidra is my jam. You know, yoga nidra means yoga sleep. That is like, I lead teacher trainings on that. So in fact, in September, I am leading a BIPOC only yoga nidra teacher training through Kripalu. Ah, and Kripalu is like the big, big
0: no, deal. No, no. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big
1: huge. deal. Yeah, and I'm leading, I believe I'm leading the first BIPOC I bet. yoga nidra teacher training like, period. That's amazing. I haven't found that online. In fact, my long-term goal, honestly, is to leave the first BIPOC-only 200-hour or 500-hour teacher training. Yeah. Because I haven't found that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like 500-hour EYRT, YASEP, whatever all the fucking bullshit things are with Yoga lions. <laughs> so I can. It's just, it's a lot of infrastructure. hmm Anyway. So more than that I'm doing. So yeah, Tai Chi Saturday mornings, the uh, restorative yoga nidra at Han Center in June. I am also doing a, it's a private, but I'm doing a new play development at Looking Glass Theater for two weeks starting next week. I just did a reading at the Goodman on Saturday. I am also, I perform in this flash mob dance group called Ajuma Rising. So an ajuma is a Korean auntie that you can kind of see. They usually have tight perms and giant visors and clothes that don't match and a fanny pack. And they usually walk very sharp elbows. So, you know what I mean? Watch out. When you're in Seoul, in the marketplace, you do not fuck with the ajumas. You do not fuck. You just get out of their way and they don't care if you're American. They will just fuck you up so you don't mess with the ajumas. So, our group, Ajuma Rising, is a bunch of Korean-American women ages 29 to 58 and we dress up in the wigs and the visors as an homage to our heritage and the Korean middle-ageness. So we just performed on Navy Pier. I actually, so this is my last Saturday. Can I just talk about myself for a second and like talk, talk about the energy I have? And I celebrate myself, but I'm also think I'm nuts. So in the morning, I taught Tai Chi in Millennium Park. Then I had a private yoga client. Then I had a dance gig on Navy Pier. And then that night I did a reading at the Goodman. That was all like in 12 hours. <laughs> Wow, yeah, I know. I was like, Mia Park, that was good. Oh, girl. So um, I have another Ajima Rising gig. I think on the seventeenth, maybe the twenty fifth. I get to figure all that stuff out, and then, um, oh, I'm also in nursing school. That's not really a performative thing. Jeez. Uh,
0: so I start classes again in next week. Oh my Oof. gosh. Yeah. You're one of those people, like, I always get the, I don't know how you do everything you do. You're one of those people, too. I think it's the fucking sympathetic arousal from the trauma history. It is. Like, we're good in chaos, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And talk about, like, do I have a choice, not have a choice?
1: How can I choose the activities that lean into the survival skills that make me feel alive in a positive way? Right. Yeah. Like, I'm done with the drugs, thank God. I'm like done with the drinking and the sleeping around. I'm done. That. You know, I've, I'm glad mm-hmm. I went through all that and I got out like relatively okay, but I'm done with all that stupid bullshit. It's fine if it's working for you people, but it's stupid bullshit for me because it was like not helpful. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, like back to that whole thing where we started like, okay, so we had this patterning. We know what to do to survive. We know what we do to make us feel like we're alive are there options that are more life-giving
0: in a sustainable way? 100%. Right? Yep. Like doing this podcast! Yes! Sorry to scream in your ear, everybody. I'm just so excited. This was so great. So delightful. So where do people find out all of the things you're doing? Is it on your website? Yeah. miapark.com. M-I-A-P-A-R-K dot com. Great. Well... Clearly, everybody is going to be as into you as I am. We're going to do something together at some point. We're friends now. No turning back. No turning back. Let's seriously like emails,
1: something, phone calls, texts. Let's figure this out about like doing some kind of like health and wholeness type thing. Yeah. Like a little festival or something like that. You know, figure
0: that out. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Delightful. Can't wait to continue our relationship. Me too, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Mia for being a kick-ass guest today. To learn more about Mia, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye bye